I have something on my heart that I want to share with you. We've been in this series called Let Us Rise Up and Build. And that's the title, uh, overarching title, the series, Let Us Rise Up and Build. We find that in 218 of Nehemiah. But today we come to the third chapter of the book of Nehemiah. And, I, and I'm actually, uh, this may sound strange, I'm actually going to preach kind of around this chapter and kind of over this chapter, not going to get too deeply into it. But I, I, what I want you to do in your own time, I want you to read the third chapter what, what, we, what we find in the third chapter, it's really an amazing chapter, and it should inspire us to take, take up the work of the Lord, to put our, in a sense, to put our hand to the plow. Because as you, as you look at this, you remember Nehemiah, the Lord spoke to him, brought him from Persia back into the promised land, back into Israel. And he came to these people and he shared his heart with them. He said, you know, you see the broken down walls. You see the disgrace. And he said, let's make a difference. The Lord has sent me here to lead the rebuilding of the walls. And when the people heard that, God touched their heart. And they responded the way that we should respond. Let us rise up and build. And, and they responded with enthusiasm. It, let me read that to you. Nehemiah 2.17 and he said, you see the distress that we're in and how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And then, as I've restated, verse 18, I told them of the good hand of God on me. And then the king's words which he spoke to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hand to the work. That's in chapter 2. And then you, as we move into chapter 3, what we find is just this, this flurry of activity as everyone is involved in the work of God. You see in the third chapter, great leaders like the high priest involved in building his part of the wall and gate. You see people that are doing small works that are kind of just the corner of a, of a place. You see the great working. You see the small working. But what you see is everyone, for the most part, is working. Do you know that God wants everyone involved? And you can make a great part, and you have a wonderful part. Last evening, we were in a prayer meeting, and J.R. led the prayer meeting, and he read a scripture, and, it, and it's in Romans twelve eleven. It says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, I've read that in another translation called the Moles translation, not a translation that's used much, but the, it's translated, that, that scripture that J.R. read is translated, keep at the boiling point for the Lord. And that's what you see in chapter 3. You see this enthusiasm. You see this groundswell of people saying, I want to I do the Lord's work. And they're all involved in doing the Lord's work. If there is a parallel passage to this in the New Testament, I think it has to be Ephesians 4. In other words, if there's a parallel passage in, of Nehemiah chapter 3 in the New Testament, it's, it's Ephesians 4. Because in Ephesians 4, what we have is in 4.11, we have the leaders, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers. And then you have in verse 12 and 13, why God has called these leaders to equip people to, so that they can get involved in the work. But then you look down in verse 16, and here's what it says. Of whom the whole body joined and knit together, by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working. Notice this. 
that by which every part does its share. Let that settle upon you. Every part does its share. No, what does it cause? It causes growth in the body and the edifying of itself in love. And that's what you see in Nehemiah 3. You see everybody getting involved. You see every part working, and God builds this wall. 52 days it took to build them. I want to share a brief message with you. Here's the title of the message. Walls, gates, and labors. Walls, gates, and labors. And in truth, I'll only get to the first part of this. Today we go to the city of Jerusalem again in this chapter. What I would say is this. The Jewish nation is a prophetic nation. It's like no other nation. The Jewish people, the Jewish nation... And today, as we kind of think about Jerusalem, we think about the workers on the wall, we think about the gates, we think about the doors that are being put on there. There's a prophetic word here. And, and these walls speak to us prophetically. Now, now, in other words, if you glance at 1 and 9 of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 9, in the latter part of that, Nehemiah prays this prayer and says, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. So God has chosen Israel. God has chosen the Jewish nation. God has chosen Jerusalem where his name would be set. Now, there's many great cities around the world. You've got the New Yorks. You've got the Hong Kongs. You've got the, the I was going to name some California folks. I think that thing's just going to break off one day. But anyway, I'll leave that there. But there's no place like the place in which the Lord has put his name. So, so in other words, Jerusalem is a prophetic picture. Its walls are a prophetic picture. Its gates are a prophetic picture, and they speak of New Testament truth in many, many ways. The psalmist said this, do good in 51, do good to your good pleasure of Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. So in other words, what I'm telling you is the walls speak of more than brick and mortar. There's a prophetic message for us today. They, and they said, let us come and be, build the wall. So, so why is it significant? Why are the walls in the city significant? They have a practical purpose, and they have a prophetic purpose. Now, we live in Mesquite, Texas in 2020. I don't think we have a wall around our city, do we? There's no need for a wall. But in that day, there was a practical sense why they needed a wall. There were these nation states. There were these tribes. And, and they needed walls so that the enemy couldn't traffic in and out. They needed walls so that they could have a safe place to live. But it also, the walls of Jerusalem have a prophetic purpose. And they have a spiritual meaning to them. So I have one point and several, several sub-points. But the one thing I want you to see, and here's the main point today. The walls of Jerusalem speak of salvation. Did you hear that? The walls of Jerusalem. Hear this again. When, we, when we're dealing with Israel, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, the city of Jerusalem, the walls, the gates, we're dealing with more than brick and mortar. We are dealing with the spiritual things of God in a prophetic sense. And in fact, we even have that in New Testament. The book of the Revelation of which we're teaching in our men's class, it says in the first chapter, he, he wrote it and he signified it. In other words, he used symbols. 
He used seven lamps and seven angels and, you know, seven seals and seven trumpets and seven vials. What are, these are symbols of things. And so it is with the city of Jerusalem. And so it is with the walls, with the gates, with the city, with the people. They speak to us powerfully. Notice what I mean. Look at the verse in Isaiah 26.1. In that day, this song shall be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Did you see that? Now look at this next verse. Isaiah 60 verse 18, it becomes very clear. Violence shall no longer shall no longer be uh, heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. Now hear this, but you shall call your walls, say it with me, you shall call your wall salvation, and you shall call, call your gates praise. Do you see the prophetic message here? I mean, I could build a wall out here next to this building, and it would mean nothing. It would just be mortar and brick or stone, but the walls of Jerusalem speak of salvation, and the walls of that day that they were broken down. What did that mean? The physical pointed to something very dark and deadly in Israel. The walls of Jerusalem being broken down meant that salvation had been broken down, meant that a relationship with God had been broken down. The walls are salvation. Why, why were the walls broken down? Because in the Jewish nation's relationship with God, or, or let me say it this way, the health of the nation the health of the nation was predicated on their relationship with God. Those walls remaining strong, them remaining secure from the enemy, their remaining a light to the entire world was predicated on their relationship with God. And you just remember, you remember, uh, you remember Zerubbabel comes back from captivity after 70 years of captivity. Joshua, the high priest, comes back to help. A little bit later, Ezra, the second Moses, comes to help and teach the law of God. And now 16 years later, 13 to 16 years later, here comes Nehemiah to, to build the walls up. Why were those walls falling down in the first place? That was never God's plan. You know that. It was never God's plan that the Babylonians come, Babylonians come in and destroy the city. That was never God's perfect will. It was never God's perfect will that Medo-Persia come in and dominate the people of God. It was God's will that that, that that remained strong. But what happened? What happened is God had warned them of disobedience and idolatry and the danger of that. Nehemiah knew the problem. Chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. You hear that? Let that settle in. And, and let, let this, look at Pastor a moment. You mark my word. The future of this church will, will, will be predicated on our faithfulness to God. The health of this church well pre-predicated on our relationship with God, our prayers, our love for God, our willingness to sacrifice when he commands us to do so, our willingness to not be like the spies that said, there are giants over there, we can't do it. No, God said do it, and it doesn't matter if, you, you, if God says do it, he'll give you a squirt gun. You can defeat them all with a squirt gun if God says you can. You understand? It's not about the size of the enemy. It's never about the size of the enemy. It's always about faith and who God is and obedience.
But notice the clear reason of why the walls were broken down, why salvation was broken down, why their relationship with God was broken down. Now listen, this is not far off. This is not just ancient history. This happens all the time. People that once walk with God in our modern day, people that once love God, never miss church, love the word of God, they're home today watching TV. They're home watching ESPN. How in the world, if you had the word of God on one side and ESPN on the other side, listen, what's wrong in someone's heart that they would choose some empty thing like that over the eternal word of God that lasts forever and tells me about how, who my God is? But that's what happens. The wall of salvation gets broken down in families. How does it start? Listen to 2 Kings 17. This is what happened to Israel. Now, listen to me. At one time, the walls were strong. The walls are strong in your life right now. You're here on Sunday morning. You, you worship the Lord. You sang so well. I could hear you singing. You sang so good this morning. And I, when we prayed, I heard you pray. I just love that. Nothing, nothing thrills a pastor's heart more than to see that and to hear that. But the enemy wants to tear salvation down in your life. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. The Bible said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, if, 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 the word is mino, mino, it means abide. If you abide, if you mino, if you abide, if you remain there. And this was God's will. It was always God's will. It's God, listen, it's God's will, uh, little Luca. It's God's will that he be raised in this church, and, and it's, it's his God's will that, that, that we, have a, we have a temporary nursery with wonderful workers. Those workers just love those kids. And then him to graduate up to children's church. We're going to have a great big children's church over there. Kids are coming. And I would even like to have a little kid's Christian school. Wouldn't that be great? We may start with a Mother's Day out and build from there. And, and so to learn about Jesus and then to come to that point where he says, I need Jesus. I remember my oldest daughter. She was, how old was she, sweetheart? Like eight years old. She was eight years old. And we were traveling around the nation and doing meetings and we were doing a meeting in, I think it was Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and, and, or Chicago, it was in Chicago, Illinois. And so, that's why she's, you have a wife, she reminds you stuff, you know. Amen, thank God. That's all the sermon I'm giving you, it's mine now. Okay, I'm just checking on it. We just, this won't be square here, okay. Get your own sermon, woman. No, I'm kidding, I'm just playing. Uh, we have fun, we have fun, by the way, it's just... But uh, south, it was in Chicago, South Chicago. We were doing a meeting in actually a Reformed church, if you can believe that I would have fit in a Reformed church, but it was highly Reformed. But we did an evangelistic meeting there. And my, my daughter came back to my wife and said something like this, Mom, am I going to heaven? She's eight years old. Am I going to heaven? And she says, well, Lauren, have you received Jesus in your heart? No, I haven't. It was in that meeting that when I gave the altar call, my, her, she was wise enough to say, when, 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 when Daddy gives the altar call at the end of the meeting, if the Holy Spirit's drawing you, you go down there because he's going to pray the prayer of salvation. And in, and in South Chicago, she walked that aisle when I gave the altar call. And she received Christ as your Savior. You say, is it real? Her and her husband passed her about 15 miles from here. She's a great worship leader. And loves God with all of her heart. I think it took, don't you? I think it took. But you know, the enemy would like to tear that down. 
He liked to tear down that relationship. You have to maintain the walls of salvation. You have to maintain. You have to mow your grass. You have to keep air in your tires so you pay more in gas and we get worse gas mileage, right? We have to maintain the work of God. Somebody's got to clean this place. Somebody's got to come and practice. We don't throw this thing together at last minute. I, can't, I didn't throw this sermon together last minute. Why? We have to maintain. You have to abide. You have to keep on keeping on. And this is, what, this is what Israel didn't do. Notice the cause of captivity. Notice the walls of salvation were broken down. Notice the relationship with God was broken. See, those broken walls were not just about brick and mortar that needed to be put back together. Those walls spoke physically of something that broken down uh, spiritually, and that is they had lost touch with God. Because the walls are salvation, the gates are praise. Look at, look at 2 Kings 17, 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer. I like that. They used to call prophets seers. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Samuel was a seer. He could see things that God would show him. Here's what the prophets would say. Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers. In which I sent to you, to you by my servants, the prophets, that is the seers. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks, like the necks of their fathers, who did not believe the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenants and made, uh, that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went, at, and went after the nations, that were all around them, concerning whom the Lord charged them that they should not do like them. Now let me stop. I believe in separation, but I don't believe in isolation. But the church has to be sprinkled in the world. We have to shine the love of Jesus in the world. We have to, that's why we're building a church. We're building a church because we're gonna be a light on a hill. And many of the thousands and tens of thousands of people and even hundreds of thousands in a month that pass the front of this building are broken. And they're saying, I, I need another drink. I, I just, this emptiness, this pain, I want to numb the pain. And they drink the drink. And then when the drink is gone, the, the hurt is still there and the pain is still there and broken marriages and kids on drugs. And, and there's confusion in our world today. And what they need is not another drink or not another drug. What they need is Jesus Christ. They need the walls of salvation built in their lives. And in their lives, the walls are all broken down. And the truth is, they don't even know how to build the walls. But we know how to build the walls. We got the wall building manual. We got the salvation building manual. His name is Jesus. I don't have a principle, but I have a savior. Come on. I have a person that's alive today. But they became idolaters. Do you realize when you become a friend of the world, it damages your relationship with God? Do you realize how holy the people of God used to be? We don't even know how far we've gone. And I'm certainly, certainly not advocating, that, listen, I'm certainly not advocating some legalism. That's not what I'm saying. But the people of old, the people of God of old, they were so holy, they wouldn't even allow a, a newspaper in their house. I'm just clear that wouldn't even, I don't even, I don't even want that in my house. 
And it wasn't that they were being mean. They just had such a desire to be close to God. And they didn't want anything to tear the walls of salvation down in their lives. They were just holy and they were righteous. And I've been around people like that. If you've ever been around someone that truly walks with God, there's an unusual sense of God's presence in them. When I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, one of the things the pastor would have me do when he got real busy, there may be someone sick in the congregation, and, and like what I asked Reese to do or Jason to do, I'd say, listen, I, I, this person needs a visit. I can't get there. Would you go on my behalf? And, I, and the pastor would send me out, and I would go out, and I remember uh, Brother and Sister Springer. They were just poor. They were very poor. They had a little white frame house. It was very small, and it was very, everything was simple. But there was something in that house. There was a sense of the very holy presence of God. Brother Springer had been an oil field hand and as mean as a snake. Mean and cruel before he came to Jesus. And I was told the story that when he came to Jesus, God so changed his heart God so transformed his life that he literally became a whole other personality. God took all the meanness away. He took all the harshness away. And you literally could just talk to Brother Springer and just start mentioning the cross. He'd start crying at the drop of a hat. How can a God, how can a man change like that? Not on his own, not in a million years on his own, but how many of you know if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God takes out the stony heart and he gives a heart of flesh and he gives a heart of tenderness. And I would go in that little white frame house in Duncan, Oklahoma, and I'd pray for them. And I always took out more with me of the blessing of just being there with those sweet, precious people. They've been long time with Jesus now. But you don't have that many people like that anymore that are truly different, that are truly separate. Here he warned them, you become like the nations around. Look at verse 16. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, and they made themselves molded images and two calves and made wooden images, and they worshiped the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft. These, I'm talking about, this is what God's people did. These are the people that came out of Egypt. These are the people that were given the law. These are the people that saw the miracles of God. These are the people that for 40 years, there was pillars of fire, pillars of smoke. There was provision of manna. And, and all of a sudden, the walls broken down. Hear me, not brick and mortar, but a relationship with God had broken down. The broken walls of Jerusalem spoke of something much deeper than brick and mortar. It spoke of a relationship with God, salvation. Look at this. They sold them to do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoked him to anger. Verse 18. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. And finally, even Judah was taken into captivity. Think about this today. When the walls of, when the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, the city and the people were no longer safe. And listen to me, my friend. When the walls of salvation are broken down in a nation, in a family, in a church, 
in an individual life, that, those people, you're not safe any longer. Not safe. The only safe place, the only safe place is a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Psalm says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations forget God. Do you realize in our own nation, the walls of salvation were strong at one time. Great national days of prayer, praying, you know, it wasn't a big deal to pray in our politics. And now there's such liberalism and evil in our country today that, that they're trying to take God out of everything. Do you realize, do you realize this? Planned Parenthood is the greatest murder of babies in our nation today. They're spending, listen to this, they're spending $45 million to elect a Democratic candidate. Now, am I, now why, why they get government funding, how can they spend $45, $45 million and not, be, and not be separation of church and state or separation of whatever? How can they get into politics with government funding? But I don't get any government funding. And yet, if they say if you mention some kind of politics, somehow you're going to get your taxes taken away. Well, let me tell you something. God's bigger than taxes. We need to proclaim the message. The walls of salvation used to be so strong in this nation. It was amazing, amazing the blessing of God. Do you realize the blessing of God in our nation right now? Do you realize how blessed we still are? Do you realize that we spent $1 trillion in Afghanistan or in uh, Iraq? Your tax money, $1 trillion fighting that war. Still spending it. Afghanistan, $500 million in Afghanistan. Do you realize there's only 300 and something million people in our country? We, we could have all got several million dollars apiece. We could have paid every college, every young man and woman's college. We could have blessed people. We could have built homes. We could have helped the poor and the homeless. And we're spending it on all this. Why? The walls of salvation are falling down in our land. Instead of spending money on infrastructure and with health care, with all the money we spend, everyone should have free health care. And I'm not into socialism, but I'm just telling you, would you rather spend a trillion dollars in Iraq, 500 million in Afghanistan, or bless our own people? See what happens when the walls start falling down, the walls of salvation in our own land. Now listen, I'll give you this quick. First of all, or not first of all, I have one point, but several subpoints. That means I have seven points, but I'm just tricking you. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. What about these walls? Remember, the walls are more than brick and mortar. They're prophetic. The walls are something spiritually significant. The walls are salvation. Notice this. The promise of these walls is the promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. The message of salvation came through the Jewish nation. He's chosen them. The promises came through them. And the promise we have through the Jewish nation is the promise of a Messiah. His name shall be called Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. 
In Acts, Peter said, the promise is to you and your children, to as many as are far off, to as many as the Lord our God will call. This promise is for any and everyone. It doesn't matter what your economic status is, what the color of your skin is. This church is open to everyone and anyone. We say to our city, no matter who you are, we love you. Whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. This promise is for everyone. I found this verse in Revelation talking about the new Jerusalem. Blessed are those who do his commands that have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. I want to enter that city one day. But before I enter that city, I've got to enter through the gate of salvation, which is none other than Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the only one who can save but also think about the power of these walls, which is the saving power of Jesus Christ to deliver repentant sinners. The delivering power of salvation is in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power, the power to do what? The power to save us. Salvation delivers us. Salvation, when the Bible says the the power of salvation, the gospel is the power into salvation. That word salvation means deliverance. It means a lot, actually, but it means deliverance. And salvation in Jesus, when these walls are built up, it means I'm saved from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? Eternal death. So that means this. I pray this will shake you to your core. That means this. If you've ever committed one sin, just one, One, you can think of the lightest sin or the worst sin. If you've ever committed one sin, then you deserve hell forever. The penalty is eternal death for one sin. And I don't know about you, I've committed more sins on all my hands and toes. Come on. I'm the chiefest sinner among us. I need somebody to take my penalty. And the one who came and built the wall of salvation said, Surely he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, he was a stri- uh, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was on him, and with his stripes were healed. Jesus took my sin. He took our penalty on the cross. Hallelujah. Salvation also delivers us from the bondage of Satan and the sin nature. So many people are bound up by Satan, and they don't even know it's Satan. They don't even know what's driving them. I'm telling you, they're powers of the enemy, but when we come to Jesus and those walls are built up in our lives, we're taken we're taking out of the power and the kingdom of darkness, and we get in brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is, a free, which is a kingdom of freedom. It's a kingdom of blessing and joy and peace and grace. We're also delivered from the second, from the second death. Jesus can set any person free quickly. Think about the walls and think of the protection. Walls were for protection. And to me, these walls speak of the keeping, the keeping power of the Lord. We need to teach our kids, Brother Reese, about the keeping power of the Lord. You know, I thank God for a testimony of deliverance, but I think the greater testimony is a young person that said, I never lived in sin like that. I never touched alcohol. I never, everybody was doing drugs. I didn't even want drugs because I love Jesus so much. I didn't live an immoral life before I got saved. I married with a pure heart and I've been married all these years. That's a greater testimony, the keeping power of Jesus Christ. Look at what Zechariah 2.5 says on the screen. For thus says the Lord, the Lord will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be a glory in her midst. I want God to be, just like God was a glory and a fire around Israel and around Jerusalem, I want God to keep us. I want him to be glory around us. And you remember how God protected them? 
Remember, little Judah was all that was left. Later, they went into captivity, but here, little Judah is all that's left. And here come the Assyrians. And the Assyrians came right up to the gate, right up to the walls of Jerusalem. Now, here's how to keep the walls built up. And, and the Assyrians send King Hezekiah a letter and said, you better yield to us and, and, then, and then tell the people that are sitting on the walls in their language, don't trust Hezekiah when he tells you to trust the Lord. Hezekiah takes that letter. You remember what he did? He took it and he spread it out in the temple before the Lord. He did what we need to do with every trial. We don't need to yield to the enemy. We don't need to negotiate with the enemy. We need to take our needs before the Lord because the Lord can keep us in his salvation. He can meet our needs. And then Isaiah comes and gives a good word. How many know when you're going through trouble, you need a good word? And Isaiah gives a great prophecy, chapter 36, 37. And the Lord said, I'm going I'm to, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. I'll, it's, re, it's reiterated in Kings also. Here's the words of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall come, he shall not come into this city. These walls are not going to be broken down. And then he says, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. You, you know what a siege mound is? Yeah, they build a ramp up to the city and get over the walls. How many of you were in Masada with us? We were down by the Dead Sea, south of the, or around the Dead Sea, and we were at Masada, which is the last stand of the Jewish people. They all committed suicide up there. And that thing is like, how many, 2,000 feet high? Or, it's high. They, those Romans built that siege ramp. You can still see it. I thought, I thought today, man, that's a bunch of shovels. They didn't have like John Deere or anything. But notice this, verse 33, by the way that he came, by the same way he shall return. This is the prophet Isaiah. I mean, think about this. The enemy surrounding Ju uh, Jerusalem, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth in that time, the, the, the evil, cruel Assyrians, and you got little bitty Judah. If you're, if you're betting man, the odds are way against you. You know, if you say, well, that huge, big army that's conquered every city in Israel, and now they're up to the neck of, of, of the walls. Look at that great army. Look at that little bitty city. I'm betting on these guys. But that's because we live by, people live by sight instead of by faith. Isaiah prophesies all those people around there, all the things they've done. And Isaiah, the man of God, heard from God and said, let me tell you something. They're not even going to shoot an arrow here. They're not going to bring a shield here. They're not coming into these walls. Why? The walls of our salvation are built up. Notice. Then he says, says the Lord, verse 34, for I will defend this city, will save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And in this time, they trusted God. And notice what happened to the Assyrians. The Lord said, oh, hey, who wants to go deal with these Assyrians? And one big old angel said, I'll go. And I'm, I'm adding this. I'll go. And then the Lord said, oh, no, this is, you, hey, you little bitty angel, you little bitty, you go down there and take care of this. Just one, I mean, you know, God's angels are so powerful. And notice what it says, Isaiah 37, 36, the angel, the, then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 
And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Can you imagine the guy that the Lord allowed to live? Can you imagine when that guy wakes up and all those thousands and tens of thousands of of soldiers are dead? I think I am in full retreat mode then. Why? Because as we sang today, Stephanie, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And if we'll keep the walls of salvation built, meaning faith in Jesus Christ every day, every day, he'll meet every need, he'll conquer every trial, he'll defeat every giant that stands in our way because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Well, I need to be done. Would you stand? Praise his name. Here's what I want to do as we stand together here. I wish uh, if our musicians would come just for a moment here. I know we had a full service today, and I tell you, I got a lot of preaching left in me in this sermon. But as one guy said, the... uh, The... uh, the heart can only absorb what the seat can endure. The walls of salvation speak of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you saved today? I pray that you're saved today. I pray that you know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, would you pray this prayer with me? Everybody just pray this prayer. If you're watching online, you pray this prayer. Everybody say this. If you don't know, if you do not, if you are not saved and God is speaking to you to be saved, if you'll sincerely pray this prayer, not because, not because you're repeating it, because you want to know the Lord, He will save you. Everybody pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. Because your word says I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of your glory. I desperately need you. I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. Jesus, you are the Savior. Save me today. I believe you died and was buried and rose again. On the third day, I call upon your name. Save me from my sin. Save me from satanic bondage. Deliver me from eternal death. Make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you just to bow your heads and just pray a moment there by yourself. Just praise him. Just praise him. Father, we thank you today for your mercy. We thank you for your grace and your love today. Thank you, Lord, for those who prayed that prayer. Lord, I believe you've done something by your Holy Spirit. For those that that prayed that prayer out of courtesy, we believe there's a greater appreciation for salvation. We believe that those who prayed that prayer and the enemy's been breaking down the walls and hindering their relationship, something happened in that prayer. You're, you're saving us. You're, you're helping us to serve you. And we thank you for that today. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to contact me sometime this week and let me know you prayed that prayer for the first time. We would love to give you some material. We'd love to help you follow the Lord. now. One other prayer we're going to pray. Now, this is all of us. We have to keep the walls of salvation strongly built up in this church. 
We have to build the walls of salvation. We can't let them be torn down in this pulpit. We can't let them be torn down in the youth ministry or the men's or women's or senior or boys and girls ministry. We cannot allow the walls of salvation in any way to be torn down. We have to be clear with the message. We have to be passionate and convicting with the message. We have to care because this is the church is a saving entity. It's God's saving entity. Not that the church saved, but we're the proclamation entity. We're the ones that are going to take the message to the world. You have a great part in that. You may never go to a foreign field and preach the gospel, but you can give to missions to help them go. You may never go to a foreign field, but you can talk to your coworker across the desk and tell them, invite them. You may never go to a foreign field, but you can bring your children to learn about Christ here so that we can have the gospel and the walls of salvation remain strong and not allow the enemy to tear them down. So our closing prayer would be this today, that, that we would remain faithful on the walls and that we would cling to this gospel. And listen, if anyone come bringing any other message except Jesus Christ and Him crucified as our faith, let Him be accursed. Any preacher that ever stands in this pulpit in the future that preaches any gospel other than that's in the Word of God, let them be accursed. And what we're doing, brothers and sisters, what we're doing, dear ones, We are preparing for a future of gospel preaching and wall building. People need the Lord so desperately. They need us to bring them. They need the love of God so desperately. Could we commit to keep the walls of salvation strong? They will never be torn down. Till the day Jesus comes, we're going to be fervent in gospel preaching and gospel church building. We're going to be fervent, fervent, fervent till the last day until Jesus comes. And in every part of this work, I pray that we would be gospelized. I pray that every part of this church, from the nursery to all the way up to senior adults, that we would want to be, you know, if you're in the nursery, a child can't understand the gospel. But what we can do is hold them and pray for them. Amen? What we can do is hold those little children and sing, Jesus loves the little children to them. Their little subconscious is getting all that. Their little spirits, their minds are not developed, but their spirits can feel love. Everyone can feel love, even a little child. Oh, may the walls of salvation be so strong in this church. Amen. Could we commit to that today? I'll lead us. Father, today I commit as the minister of this church, the servant, the under-shepherd of Christ. I commit to being a gospel preacher. I want to keep the walls of salvation strongly built in this church, preaching Christ and Christ alone, by grace through faith, that not of works, but Christ, but calling upon Christ will save us, not church attendance, not giving, not trying to be a good person, because it's only Jesus that can save, and only the Spirit of God that can convert our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that we would love your gospel. And I pray, just like Nehemiah had a burden to build the walls, Lord, that we as a church will have a burden to build the walls stronger and stronger in gospel preaching and believing and proclaiming to a lost world. And, Lord, we can all play a part. We can all play a part. May we build these walls. Let us rise up and build them. And now, Lord, I pray your blessing on this body. I pray, O God the love of God the love of God the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us always and may this always be a very special place of your presence and your love and your kindness 
build the walls. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's been wonderful sharing this morning with you. I love each of you. Love each other as you go. Be friendly as you go. Thank you for being here today.